Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Warnounds, a privateer press podcast. I'm Locke, he's Caster, and today we're going to be doing some lore nouns. So I noticed while editing here that there's a couple points that we forgot to uh, go over when we were doing this is, first off, after the First Dragon War, Toruk does not immediately go to the Scarred Islands. We'll cover how he gets there when we actually get to the part of the timeline. The second main thing I wanted to cover is the fact that the longer a dragon resides in an area, the more its blight spreads out and affects that area. And, and that's sometimes how you can find how they where, where they're at. And one of the few dragons that can stop this from happening is Everblight. He can sort of pull it in and focus it so that way he doesn't bring attention to himself. Yes, and he also has a way to uh, do a focused spot, like have someone put it in the water to blight people downstream and things like that. But as well as that, wherever the dragons spawn, go, and bleed, the foliage never comes back on the places where the dragon's blood touched. So that is something to keep in mind about dragons. Another addendum I found, I apologize, is when we refer to the uh, Styxus and that Skyfang uh, was killed over the sky of the island which caused the blighting of the Styxes, that actually wasn't Skafang. That was a Sharzix. My apologies. Hello and welcome to Lore Nouns. Yay! Lore Nouns episode 2. This will be War Nouns episode 12. For those of you who have asked, we will be breaking Lore Nouns off into its own, like, thing later slash when we get enough episodes yeah basically for now it's going to be a little too infrequent to really justify i think so uh a little disclaimer if you hear uh, minecraft noises in the background we've got casters jr here and and he's playing he's playing minecraft yep so hi hi (laughs) all right so we um, are also joined by courage the cowardly death chicken Yay! <laughs> Always a pleasure to have around. Yeah. So, in this episode, we are going to be talking about Taruk, the Dragon Father, mm-hmm. and the Andathonks, and because we'll, we'll be talking about Athonks as they relate to. As Taruk's origins are mysterious, we'll be talking about the dragons too. We'll be talking about Athonks as they relate to the dragons, not as they relate to. Legion of Everblight casters because that is something completely different and well, it's something we'll yeah. cover when we cover the almighty Everblight himself. Yes, indeed. So if it's a little unclear from the picture of our Larnounds, my favorite caster, one of my favorite casters, the caster that I started with and played the most of, is Lilith One. So I am quite loyal to the great almighty Everblight. Yes, indeed. So, I'm really excited because I like Everblight's lore. So, we'll get into all that in just a second. I have a little bit of news to go over. It's not really a whole lot. The main part coming out is Privateer Press have now announced for Riot Quest what the Season 2 boss is going to be. Now, for those of you who don't remember in, in Riot Quest, uh, you have all the characters as part of the set. And then to close out the set that season, whatever you want to call it, they introduce a boss. Well, for season one, that was Melvin and Mayhem. This time, it's going to be a reimagining of what Karchev the Terrible, that is the Kedoran Warcaster, the man in the Warjack, 
they reimagined him, and this is going to be Locke's first time seeing what that reimagining is going to look like. Ooh, did he How get all cricks on us? He did, yes. So it's kind of just like before, but more skeletal for the head and necromantic uh, for the uh, glows and effects and stuff. This is a fantastic picture, mm -hmm. but it's sort of brought down by that right there. There is a goblin in the back that looks like he might be controlling him. I know. See, what it is is it's, it's, this is this is this is beautifully rendered. Hey, 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 You don't you don't need to yell at your wither skeleton. Sit down. So it's 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 a beautifully drawn picture. It looks really awesome. And then there's this little cartoony gobbler, or you know, it it really looks like a goblin from WoW, just in the corner. Yeah, true. The, the, the art style is completely separate from Karchev to him. Yeah. So, well, be that as it may, he does work for both Crix and Kador. Um, so, that will be nice for both of those factions to get something there. You know, we need to do a breakdown of... Every time I say a word, he says a word! <laughs> We really need to do a breakdown of Riot Quest. Yeah, I think like, that'll be... Like, like the rules, the lore. That won't be next episode, but maybe... <laughs> It'll be like two three, or three episodes. Out. Yeah, two or three out. We actually have content planned for the next couple episodes, so... Yeah. Loose, vague, undefined content. Well, I mean, like, we got one episode, like, planned. Yeah. And then we've got, like, another episode... That we're working on planned but it needs work okay <laughs> let's talk about dragons yeah the reason why everyone's here yeah hold courage oh okay I have okay because I, I got i got books i gotta get to okay so we are going to talk about uh the almighty turk the dragon father now one of the things you have to talk about with turk is a thong so we will be talking about that some but as it relates to uh, dragons as i stated before yes so in this book I hold here, The Forces of War Machine Cricks, there is a passage from the Church of Taruk that basically says the Church of Taruk, because the guy's got a church. It does. Teaches that long before the Nightmare Empire or the, or the mortal nations came into being, when the world was young and not yet fully formed, Taruk soared alone over the lifeless before, uh, over a lifeless cane for an indeterminate epoch Let's, uh, of isolation. Eventually life arose and Taruk observed teeming hordes of short-lived creatures crawling, swimming, and flying below him. Okay, so that is that is the, the Taruk's church. That's what they teach. They in, in other spots you can find it, it basically boils down to the same thing you know like there was nothing yeah Turk was there also but what I like here is from Everblight himself you know he talks about you know Everblight so this is from Everblight on Athonks and Turk now Everblight says that the Athonk is like nothing else on Kayan it bears no similarity to any other living thing, yet it is uniquely self-aware and alive. Each piece of this heartstone, they call it a heartstone a lot in the lore, is capable of unlocking um, tremendous growth. The Athonk was the first sentient entity on all of Cain. Risen to consciousness and assuming the name Turuk in a language of his own, devising long before he closed himself in flesh. Flesh and scales. Generative properties of the Athunk might have sparked the seeds of all life. Okay, so that is just, you know, Everboy. But he does think that, I mean, we know that life comes from Dunium, but I like how Everboy's like, nope. You know, it might have been Turuk, not 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 Dunia. But yeah. if you if, if you look at this, so it, it says that before life 
before he even closed himself in flesh, there was the stone. There was the Athonk. The Athonk was unusually self-aware and eventually is one of the first creatures on Kaon to rise to consciousness. Hmm. Now, um, I, I don't I don't know, you know, if this is like speculative nouns or whatever, but there in the war where it talks about the first kill that n- infected the tree and created wormwood. Yeah. Do you think maybe something similar happened with the stones the blood fell upon? That's entirely possible. We have a lot of knowledge already for those of you who have listened to our previous episode of the um, blood from uh, the worm ravaging mm-hmm. Dunia as well as the blood of the first kill creating consciousness and things it's entirely possible that one of those two events created Toruk or maybe when Dunia was waking up she had a kidney stone Effectively, because it, it, it's described as a hearthstone. Uh, a heart, yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I need to point this out right now. So, an athonk is a stone that, uh, uh, of a dragon that then cl- it, it generates flesh around it. Mm-hmm. Dragons do not require, they, they don't require any substance. They, they don't require food, water, not even air to live. Let me see this right here. Uh, dragons do not require any substance that's uh, lesser beings crave. No food, no water, not even air. Yet perhaps the Athonk did not... So dragons don't require stuff. Yeah. So, what this boils down to, if you think about it, is... Taruk is the original crystal gem. And I think Cartoon Network needs to pay some royalties to privateer <laughs> press. Well... <laughs> because... <laughs> Yeah, when you put it that way. He's, he's... Yeah, he's a gem that creates his own body and form, and as we'll find out later, it doesn't it, it, have to be the same. Yeah, no, it, it does not... Yeah. 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 Well, so, okay then. The, the next thing you need to know about Athonk and dragons is that Truk could not relate to lesser beings, as mm-hmm. everybody so elegantly puts it. As by the way, if if you ever get your chance to get a ho- to get hold of Hordes Prime Mark II, you should totally read the little section before they they go into like the um, Legion stuff because it's it's fantastic because it's like it's basically a foreword from Thagarash. Oh. But every now and then, Everblight speaks through him. Hmm. And. Thagarash has access to Everblight's memories, and so sometimes he'll just recall things of Everblight, and it's it's fantastic. And just <laughs> the, Everblight to me is a well-spoken British villain. <laughs> okay, then. Just just the, the the narrative, the words he uses. It's it's just it's. Well, we'll be getting into some of that later when we cover. And he he likes to soliloquy or soliloquize, blah. Soliloquy. Yeah. Yeah. He likes to he likes to just kind of go on. Uh, yes, I love Everblight. I love <laughs> I love Everblight. I'm a fan. Okay, so one one of the next things that even the Church of Turok teaches, um, and Everblight himself talks about, is that Turok sort of he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be served. He wanted to produce offspring like the creatures that he saw. So he split his hearthstone, creating lesser dragons. Correct. But the problem is, the problem with that was, is that they um, shared in his being. Um, yeah. So so here in in the in the Church of Turok, they. They, they, they talk about he was seized by an urge to create other dragons, to spawn his own progeny. He did not reproduce the way nature does, but rather carving pieces from his otherwise imperishable athonk, the crystalline heart that forms the core of his divinity. Each shard became these powerful beings. And Everblight goes into that a little bit more over here, but he talks about how athonks are... Even when they are made into lesser parts, they are perfect. Mm-hmm. He talks about you know how how just awesome the thongs are. They're just they're just totally badass. And then 
so he made these dragons and they proved to be too much like their father so they became very willful and he's like wait a second you're supposed to be worshiping me and they're like so he meant to create you know like puppies and said he created you know teenagers <laughs> like we don't have to listen to you dad and he's like yes you do i'm your father and they're like no you're not you're not a real dad and he's like well what's gonna be your real dad basically yeah so um and it was at that point that they uh began to converge on each other and attack him at the same time right yeah um that that's more of like the first dragon wars dragon okay. wars part like one yeah they they eventually rebel and then they all go and they scatter and they go do their own thing but another thing about a thonks that everblight talks about he talks about how that a thonks the, the dragon's desire so truk was like so okay first of all truk was like you know you bad children i'm gonna just absorb you back and his children were like no you should not do that. And they, they rebelled and they fled and blah, blah, blah. So they also try to eat each other. And uh, and and what happens is is the two Athonks become a bigger piece, making that the whoever dragon won and consumed the other more powerful. Well, Everblight says that it's not so much that he... he it's not so much that they do it because they just want to get more powerful or kill each other it's a desire of the stone to be whole again so they seek each other out and they seek to consume each other's thongs because it's a longing to be a single piece again to be okay. a larger single piece so it's it's almost it's less of a I, desire I mean, for power and more to be Whole. Yes, more to be whole, and um, that I've I've read a couple of different passages about this stuff and everything, and nowhere else in the lore does it talk about that except when Everblight is mentioning it. That it's it's not so much that they want to like like they get a power boost when it happens, but it's not that they want to be more powerful. It's that they it's more of a, a desire to be whole again. Oh, sorry. Okay, I found it. So at the core of the dragon... Okay, so... When dragons clash in cannibalistic battle and the victor consumes the defeated, the athunks pull together like two lodestones to fuse un uneeringly into one. More than a simple thirst for power, it is a desire to become whole that drives them to hunt one another. So, I mean, I, I have not found this in any other, like lore when it pertains to the Afonks and that kind of stuff, but this is from Everblight himself, who is a dragon, yeah. so it's it's more, you know... It, There's a lot more weight behind his words on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that basically is what I... Because... I mean, I, I've looked a lot, and every story about Turk is basically very similar yeah about where he comes from and, and how he came a to be rewording of the exact same story i came across the exact same thing it was hard to piece apart new information yeah so this is sort of like a, a deep dive into like the lore the origins of him caster wants to do sort of his breakdown in a um sort of chronological order when we actually get to the like the lore itself so we probably won't go more into him uh, at this moment because yeah. it just it gets a lot of spoilerly yeah so it, what, what it boils down to is he's been ruling a um the, been the, ruling the cricks for what is it they they, uh, they all say the same it's like six centuries or something like that 16 centuries yeah he's been ruling over uh the scarred islands they and or trust me when you when you read about truk that comes up a lot yes they're very clear about that point. 16 centuries, 16 centuries, 16 centuries. And I'm like, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, what, what we're referring to is basically um, after we complete uh, all of the deities and whatnot and the dragons and blah, blah, blah. After um, we build the world. Yes. Then I'm going to be chronologically going through a series of events. And then the, the dragons are going to be popping up periodically throughout, although... They're going to be bursts of lots of information, followed by periods of not as much on the dragons and more on other things. Yeah, so um, now that I've covered very rambly and very 
you know, sort of wanderingly, Turok mm. and his origins and the Athongs, Casper here is going to get down with the dragons. Yes, all of his prodigy. and The prodigy, the prodigy that we know about. Yes. There are an unknown number of dragons in the world. However... And he has eaten quite a few. He's eaten a lot of them. Uh, when the first dragon war, which we, we touched on that, is he created his prodigy as uh, Locke Okay, yeah, and, yeah. So and, he created this progeny, and he wanted them to serve. They did not want to serve. They were like, no, dad. So he started trying to... He, he was like, well, fine. You know, you're wasting good a thong. And he started reclaiming it. Yes. And they all went out and they hid. So then eventually... Well, they... They hurt him first. No, they hid first. And then oh, a right. certain dragon, which is one of your favorites, and we'll get to, um, came out and was like, no, dad can be hurt, and proved that he could be hurt, which then rallied the others, which then made him go be on the Scar Island. That actually happened later. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, from what I was able to dig up on my part was that during the first Dragon War, he ate many of them. We don't have an exact number. Names, descriptions, any of that. He ate many of them. The others attacked him and hurt him, but it wasn't really enough to, like, decisively do anything. So he he fled to go recuperate. All the rest of them fled to recuperate in different directions. And from that first instance, that, that first dragon war, is where we're going to get the distance between some of these dragons and the events going on that I'm about to go into. Okay. So dragons, yeah. dragons, 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 dragons. So first off, some of you may be wondering, well, how do we know the names? You know, did did Privateer Press just say, here are the names? No. Not really. So what happened was the circle uh, Orboros, what they did is uh, several of the druids in ancient times came across something called the Wormstone. That's what they have dubbed it. They found a large stone of nondescript that had on it a whole bunch of information written in Draconic, which is a language, we didn't touch on this, but Taruk made his own language. And these druids have deciphered parts of it. Less of the events and more of the names. And so that's where a lot of these names come from, is from the Wormstone. And here is a list of all the dragons that we know of. So you have Taruk, obviously, but then you have Blightergast, the Chimera, <laughs> Everblight, mm. Jarlburn, Halfung, um, getting a little Nordic there, <laughs> Scalefung, Umbergoven, Hor. Oh goodness, I forgot to write. Uh, Hororark. I don't, I don't know. know how to enunciate this one. H-O-R-A-U-R-A-K. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, next, we have Edros, Golvang, and Nektor. Now, there are two others that I will get to when we come back to Edros. Uh, we also have Nidboros, Pyromalfak, and Sharzix. And those are all the ones that we know of. Uh, there are others out there that have been hinted at, that are mentioned in just like a, a passage here of a dragon was spotted. But by the description and time frame, it doesn't fit any of the ones here. So we know definitively there are more out there. We just don't know anything about them yet. Okay, so one thing you should know about, about dragons is all dragons have blight. All dragons create and have blight around them. Yes. Now, this, uh, certain dragons use it, they, they all use it differently. So, Turok has blight, mm -hmm. and that's sort of how he creates, manages, and does the cricks. Everblight has blight, and that is like, dragons all have like special abilities and talents, and Everblight's is his control of his blight. Yes. We will get way more into that when we cover him. Yes. But um, he's not as big as his brothers. He's actually the smallest of all the dragons. Yeah. But he is hyper-intelligent. Yep. Um, a little arrogant. As is do a dragon. And very a master of his blight. Yes. Um, the other dragons have been rumored to experiment with it. 
but not in the way that he does. Yeah, and there's, there's a little bit of that I'm going to touch on, but a lot of it they don't really speak of too much. A, a lot more... You, yeah, so... Everblight... Like, I, I haven't read that much about the other dragons, but I have read a lot about Everblight. Yeah. And, and that's where I, I know the whole... The Blight. Okay. So, what I'm going to go through here is I'm going to uh, speak about each dragon individually from what I, all the information I was able to get into one spot that's definitive, not hearsay or rumors as much. And he's also going to try to keep spo spoilers for um, the good stuff to a minimum. Yes. So, this is going to be dealing primarily with prehistoric events uh, with a smattering of a few other ones because I can't really avoid it. All right. So, first off, Taruk. He has no direct physical description beyond the following facts. He is black of scale, and he is immense. He is the largest of all of the dragons, and approximately 17 stories tall. 21 stories tall, with his wings at rest. So there's a physical description there for you of size. Next up, we have Blightergast. Blightergast is... He is the most charismatic of all of the of all the dragons. We know this because he is the one who consistently convinces his brothers to join him in wars against their father Toruk. He is always at the center of all of that and is the most scheming at ensuring that the dragons don't eat each other before they get dad first. But he also wants to it, it doesn't explicitly state but hints that he wants to get uh, Toruk's a thong for himself and then eat all of his brethren, which would make sense. Uh, but he does so in a way that, as far as I can tell, has not caused alarm of his brothers, and they seem to adhere to what Blightergast has to say. He also does not like Everblight. No. Um, he intentionally keeps Everblight out of all of his dealings. He works with all the others. He, he intentionally ignores Everblight or tries to keep information away from him. He does not like Everblight. So, Blightergast, he is of the color Umber, which is a slightly reddish brown. He also has a maw, the span of which is the length of a war sloop's mast, which I had to do some research. That's 180 feet. He also has pearl-colored talons as long as heavy war horses, and his underbelly as ochre, which is a creamy yellow, with a deep orange webbing covering the tops and bottoms of his wings. He emits a pungent, toxic aura that smells like hot peppers, and his smoldering, his smoldering breath is described to reek of naphtha, which is hell's acid. Next up, we have the chimera. Now, the Chimera is an interesting one. Notice I'm not saying any particular name because that name has been lost to time. It's just called the Chimera. Yes. Now, the Chimera is located in the center of the continent. There is a giant crack. When we cover the Iosans, you'll, you'll understand what the Bridge of the Worlds is. But all you need to know for now is the elves created the Bridge of the Worlds. And then it blew up. When it blew up, the chimera was too close and was caught up in its magical destruction. And since Athonks can't be destroyed, but can apparently be damaged. It was damaged. His Athonk was warped and distorted. And as a result, he lost all knowledge of who he was, what he was, and what his purpose was. He basically became primal. Yes with no other knowledge of anything other than a sheer rage at the inability to remember who or what he is. He revels in draconic destruction. And a hunger. The hunger for all things living. And he wants to eat everything and hopes that something that he will consume will give him an identity. We know this more than anything else than because of the, um, the fact that then the fact that whatever he consumes, he creates a spawn or multiple uh, draconic spawn in the shape of whatever was he consumed. 
But when it comes to creating things, that is the extent of it. He doesn't create large armies like Everblight or anyone else or anything like that. It, they are more a byproduct of him trying to create things. Mm -hmm. But more than anything else we need to know about the Chimera is because of his loss of thought and, and knowledge of who he is, he constantly is changing form. He doesn't know what he's supposed to look like. So he's constantly warping and changing and growing wings and pulling them in to make a tail. And uh, he, he's in a constant state of shifting. Now, this also manifests itself in his breath. His breath changes elemental type based upon his current shape or not. Sometimes it's entirely different than his shape. So that's... it's... He's kind of an anomaly as a result. He stands about 10 floors tall and is, uh, he's filled with the black indulgence of slaughter. That's how it describes it. So, yeah. And he is the only entity we know definitively causes sheer terror in the scorn. They have dealt with dragons. They have dealt with other beasts out there. The Chimera itself, they avoid at all cost. And those that are drawn to its presence by wonder are never seen again. Because every now and then, the Chimera will, whether by shape or scent or something, will occasionally draw those nearby to it and then kill them. The Scorn have no way of dealing with the Chimera because it regenerates damage too quickly for them to be able to do anything with. They've lost entire armies to it. So, that's the Chimera. It lives in the crack of the uh, continent underneath the bridge that spans the, the uh, expanse. So, yes. Next, um, Everblight, we've... We'll cover the rest of what we have on him later. I think we basically have a generalist knowledge of him, other than uh, he is... He's awesome! <laughs> he is awesome. So, um, he is the smallest of all of his brothers. He has the most control, direct control over his blight and making him do what he wants. Uh, no one else is described as controlling the blight quite the way he does. But I don't want to say any more than that without spoiling what we're going to talk about later for him. And he, he has a very scientific mind. And none of mm. his brothers have been shown to be as scientific or as sort of calculating as he is. Yes. Yeah. All right. So next up, um, the following ones are not living anymore. And exactly what happened to them will cover when we get to those points in the timeline. So what you need to... Scarfing? Okay, so at one point in time, Scarfing... Yep. ...was eaten by Daddy. Yes. But uh, as he was eaten, his blood fell upon one of the Scarred Isles... Yep. ...and created the... Styxis. Yes. Yep. Could. They were blighted. The Styxis and most of the blighted Ogren, but not all. Um, Taruk did blight some of them himself, but most of them were due to his death. Yep. Yes. His blood fell upon the isle and blighted them. Yep. All right. Um, yeah, are you Or Skafang. That, that's his name, not, not Scarfang. Skafang. Anyways, um, so Jarlburn... Horaruk, I attempted it. Uh, Umbergoven, Pyromalfic, uh, Gulving, Nectar, and Sharzix. Those are all deceased. Umbergoven is a kick-ass name. I wish he I was know. still around. I really would love to know more about him. Um, and uh, Gulving is another one that uh, catches my attention. Yolburn, I'm pretty sure the dwarf or the. Um, Trollkin named him just by the name. But, yeah. You know. See, you know, here, here's a weird question. So, um, Truk, uh, he created these dragons from pieces of his athonk. Now, he's absorbed them. If he were to repiece his athonk, would they be completely new dragons or would they be the similar dragons that had already existed? 
So from what I understand is when all of them combine back into one, they will, with, let, let's say it's, um, uh, I don't know. Umbergoven. Uh, Umbergoven. He ate all of them. They would all turn into Umbergoven. Umbergoven would but, be a new form. Yeah, yeah. But if he divided his thonk, would these same dragons come out or would they be new dragons? Oh, I see what you're trying to say. Sorry. So... Um, to my understanding, they would be new dragons. Okay. Pretty sure. Okay. When we get to Edros, we'll go over that. <laughs> okay, so, next up, we have Halfang. A spiny dragon with black and silver wings and reflective scales that change from black to silver depending on the lighting. She refers to herself as a she, Ooh. is very swift amongst, uh, almost seeming to fly faster than her shadow. Helfing emits a stifling heat capable of melting spears, swords, and armor to slag while choking out those who remain. She also can either burn or freeze her prey via her breath. She is known to the Kadorans as the Wormlich, Frostfire, Frost Mother, or the Preserver. The Nis call her Grisling For, which translates roughly to either the Great Fire Wolf or the Great Fire Worm, depending on your uh, uh, translation. So, uh, and what, one thing you're going to notice um, as we get further into dragon lore is that they are often referred to um, in conjunction as either being dragons or being worms. Correct. Which, um, Castor has a very interesting theory he wants to float by you uh, when we get to the end of the dragons. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right, so next uh, we're going to go over Skafing. Now, Skafing is, uh, we just mentioned this ceased later, but currently uh, is, th this is the information I have on it, so I'm going to give it to you. Uh, Skafing is a massive black-scaled beast with barbed leathery wings and teeth and talons larger than the largest man and black as pitch in color. A nimbus of pure evil surrounds him and his baleful gaze uh, at and his baleful gaze uh, sometimes shows as uh, a glowing red or a glowing purple depending on his mood. He emits a black fog of ash called unlight. To touch or breathe it is certain death. The ash, however, falls to the ground in clumps, and once it cools, it forms a coal-like substance that, if burned, turns back into the deadly ash cloud state, uh, that is then called death's dust. And it, uh, from what I was able to tell, some people willing willfully burn it, but they do so in such a way that the uh, dust is blown away from them. Times of desperation, I can only assume. I couldn't find any more on it. You could totally turn that into a weapon. Oh, yeah. Uh, so next we are going to talk about Edros. Now, I've mentioned Edros many times, and I'm really excited <laughs> okay, about this Okay, so one. this is some really cool lore here. So Edros, when the first uh, War of the Dragons took place and they all fled, Edros fled far to the northeast uh, of the continent, to the north of the Scorn by a long, long ways, and right next to the, the capital city of Bemoth. He got himself in with the giants. Correct. A civilization of giants living far to the northeast above the Scorn up in the mountain ranges. The Sunscorn Mountains, I believe they're called. I, I, I meant to write it down. I can't remember the name of the mountains. Anyways, so there's actually a bit of information on the uh, giants themselves that I was able to dig up as a result, and that's going to play a huge part in the rest of this. So the, the giants themselves have the capital city of Bemoth. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the rest of the civilization, names of towns, or whatnot. But we do know that they are a fairly peaceful society, but they are constantly dealing with giant beasts that live in around their area that they also hunt for food and whatnot. 
Well, when Andros arrived, he decided that he was going to attack them. He, he took up residence in a volcano. Yes, he took up residence in a volcano oh. and uses the base of operation no. to attack the giants. No, and it seems to be more out of a fascination for how they would respond more than any other reason that I could find. Well, he attacked them and the giants were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the greatest beast we have oh. ever... Stop smacking me with that! Oh, the whelp is enjoying himself. Uh, so the the giants were like, whoa, 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 this, this is bad news. This is the greatest beast we have ever seen. It's going to destroy us all if we do not band together. And the giants banded together <laughs> and attacked Edros. Now, they succeeded in hurting him. But this was a bad idea. This was a big mistake. So... The giants, no, it took thousands of giants to finally wound Edros to bring him onto the ground. And once there, while he was still cleaving giants in half, some of them got to his underbelly, cut him open, found the a thonk, and took it out. And obviously the rest of the body, you know, died. And they took this a thonk, and they're like... This is obviously the center of its power. What do we do with it? And the greatest of their chieftains decided, well, he was going to break it. And he took an ancient blade. We don't have any other description than that. He took his ancient blade and <gasps> smashed it against the Athonk, shattering his blade, but... Cleaving the Athonk in two. Correct. They didn't know what to do at that point. They didn't have any other weapon that could damage the, the shards. So they threw it into a volcano. Both of them into the same volcano, which then gave birth to two dragons. <laughs> they made their own downfall. At this point, they realized, oh, we done goofed. Uh, but the dragons or the giants were now in decline. They didn't have enough population to so, deal with them. Out of this volcano came two dragons who were like, we don't like you, giants. And they're like, but, but, but. And they're like, no. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And so, basically, the whole description of them is just how they go about killing giants. Yes. From this point on, it's going to be how the two dragons slaughter giants. But, before that, the giants decided to, they, they talked, and they're like, we need help. The Scorn ain't going to help us. Anytime they see us, they just try to enslave us. So they sent an emissary west to try and find a new race of people to help them. And that emissary's name we actually have. It's Colossa. Colossa went and discovered completely by accident a long, long time later. Uh, we don't have an exact time span, but eventually he... Uh, bumbled into the city of Corvus in Signar. And uh, from there, he tried to get them to join him on an expedition, but the Signarians were like, we don't want anything to do with the Bloodstone Marches. We're not going over there, but you're welcome to stay. And for reasons uh, not transcribed anywhere I could find, Colossus stayed and uh, eventually... Uh, became known as the defender of Corvus, um, defending it from a lot of uh, bandits and uh, beasts from the Bloodstone Marches, and eventually converted to the teachings of Morrow. <laughs> and was uh, put no, away in, uh, when, when Colossus eventually passed away, was buried in a crypt with as many honors and rituals to his name as they could possibly muster. Even uh, having royalty show up for the ceremony. We don't have names, but yeah. So, there you go. Oh, he wants now, the mic. <laughs> back to the dragons themselves. Now, we mentioned two dragons were uh, came out of the... Uh, volcano, and here they are. The first to emerge was Ashnephos. 
I have to say, that's one a cool name. Ashnaphos is equally beautiful and terrible. Its scales seem to shimmer in the light like an oiled steel blade in the sun. His fangs gleam like white polished silver. Ashnaphos's fire hypnotizes any who see it with such, uh, such beauty that those who see it become paralyzed in rapture even as their flesh boils and sloughs from their bones. Poems and songs are dedicated to this dreadful dragon by both the giants and the scorn. Those that survive can never shake memories of the magnificent slaughter and long to also join in its beautiful, rapturous death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ashnaphos is... He revels in the destruction and uh, just... He loves to kill dragons, and he loves to see those there dragons. Sorry, uh, loves to kill giants, and he revels in the agony of those he kills. He is very arrogant, has little regard for his personal safety, and will openly attack the uh, giants in the daylight. Um, their cities, their towns, the only place that he will not go for the sheer quantity and defensive measures in place is Bemoth itself. Next we get to Charsog. Charsog is the more in uh, intelligent and um, reserved of the two. He plots the extinction of the giants and raising of Bemoth, and he is blacker than night so that, and so dark that unless he is uh, backlit by uh, lava or some very light, uh, bright light, you cannot see him in the dark at all. And during the day, he is so dark that your eyes glide over him. Oh. It, you have to really focus just to be able to see him. Stealth mode! <laughs> All the time. He prefers to come out at night, however, to strike by tooth and claw, then take any survivors... And do my favorite thing here. He takes them, and he wraps them. And he... Well, let me read your notes. Okay. Let's write down, write down here. Right, but tooth and claw. Take, uh, then, take a survivor to his volcano home... And so what he does is he goes out uh, and he causes some destruction. And then he gets a giant and he, he just, he, he takes it with him, sinks his claws into it, takes it with him, goes up to the top of his volcano where he lives and jumps in with the survivor or with, with the giant and mm -hmm. um, watch it melt away between his claws. Yes. He, that, that, that brings him more joy than anything else is feeling it writhe in the lava and slowly melt away in his claw. Mm-hmm. So awesome. I think, think of the two, I think he's my favorite. Now, one thing to note about these two is they have a innate agreement inside of them, not even spoken between them, that they will not attack one another. They will, they will even work in unison with each other for prolonged periods of time because they are both set so solely on the destruction of that which killed their sire. They want to destroy the giants and Aww, raise them to the ground. evil babies. At that point, They're they twins. will then attack each other and rejoin to try and become Edros. But we don't know if they will or, or if they, they will just become... And a larger form. Yeah, or, or, or they, they, they don't know if they can remake Edros or if they, one will just consume the other. We do know this, however. Asphasnos, uh, he, he receives messages in his dreams from Edros. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. He has thought about telling Charsong about this and seeing if he also receives them but has decided to keep that information to yeah. himself. And this is the only other point I could find in which 
a, a former dragon, in this case Edros, but maybe it happens in the case of Taruk, speaks to his children in their dreams to try and persuade them to do things. We don't know. It's never spoken anywhere else. Okay, now it's time for your favorite dragon. Now is definitely time for my favorite one. This one, I, I wish there was more on him. I really, really do. Nidboros. Nidboros. Now, that's an important name to pay attention to. Yes. Nidboros. Yes. Okay, go on. Uh, wow. And for how much I like him, I even missed a uh, letter there. Nidboros. 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 So, Nidboros first appears in record by word of mouth in the um, Belladol Edus. The Belladol Edus is a now lost series of poems passed by word of mouth. The parts that have survived describe Nidboros consuming many of his kin and growing into a mighty blighted serpent not a dragon a serpent mm-hmm. he does not have wings sometimes described as a giant worm mm. one might say a devourer perhaps mm. he is greater than all the others and only just smaller than Toruk himself. Now, I don't know if that's smaller by his the height of his wings or the height of his head, so keep that in mind. Additionally, he is uh, he grows into a mighty blighted serpent greater than anything else. Some depict Nidoboros as a giant serpent consuming itself in an endless cycle of writhing... Or, sorry, not writhing. Uh, an endless cycle of life and rebirth of death and rebirth of life and renewal take that as you will now the imagery that they possess also shows him writhing in a continual unending loop so we have a devouring serpent also known as the devouring worm dragon-esque in a never-ending cycle. Those of you out there who may also be wondering, yes, this may also look like a certain faction symbol. And if you lost the Nitto part of his name, it would be... Orboros. So, um, we we have to do some more research on the circle, but uh, just... Just a quick breakdown. The circle do not worship the devourer worm. They worship an aspect of him known as Oberos. And um, I haven't found anything. I haven't done that much research on it yet. But I haven't, I haven't found anything of why they re- um, worship an aspect of him at, um, known as Oberos. But Caster has a theory. So the theory here is the texts these uh, these poems, the poems of Belladol Edos, are very, very ancient. We're going back way into the prehistoric times. As a result, it's entirely possible that the original druids, maybe those that found the Wormstone, uh, or maybe others, saw this dragon and began worshipping it. And over time... As, the, as an aspect of the Devourer Worm. Correct not realizing that he was a dragon because he didn't have wings. So... Over time, they lost the middle part of his name and just started calling him Oberos. And over time further, it became Orboros instead of Oberos. As languages and names change over time, as we see in history, it's entirely possible that that is what has happened here. Now, we don't have any evidence of this, and like I said, we have to do more research into the circle, but it is a very interesting theory. Yes, indeed. And, uh, yeah, I, I'll just I'll just let you guys ponder that as I do he's more just, research. He's just going to walk in, he's just going to put it on the table, and he's just going to let you look at it. Basically. All right, so that is what I was able to find on the dragons themselves. 
and their appearance, their uh, a little bit of their size comparison, where I could find it, it wasn't always oh, evident. And some of it I had to take a metaphor and try and put it into physical form, so yeah. Uh, anyways, that's, that's what we have on the dragons. And a little bit of the giants and uh, other things. Do, do we want to talk about, about Nidoros or, or anything about him, or are you saving that for the prehistory? So, I may as well talk about it now, because there is not a whole lot of actual times given. So, Nidoros... Nidoros, um, at, at one point in time, to try to rally his brothers to the come here, let's go beat up daddy, took on Turuk himself, scratching him, clawing him, and okay. drawing blood. He, um, he was eventually defeated by daddy, but he was so wounded and his brothers drawn to the smell of their father's blood that Taruk was like, oh no, and effed his way on out of there. Yes. To go hide from his own sons because he, 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 didn't, he didn't think he would survive, which let Nidavros's Athank fall to the ground. Correct. And um, because Taruk did not get a chance to consume it. Neither did any of his brothers because it was taken by that of most ancient beings. The old witch of Kador. Yep. Seneva Aga. She, she took, took it, it and she hit it and there's a whole lot of interesting stuff that happens around it. Yes, so we will get back to that when we cover uh, the old witch of Kador as well as other events. Um, it's... It's interesting, and a whole lot of story and plot things are going to revolve around Nidoboros's Athank, so and stay tuned. All of the old witch's dialogues, or dialogue in the stories, has all of the W's replaced with V's. <laughs> Makes reading very interesting. So that's uh, basically what we have about the dragons, the Athank, a bit of history, and... Uh, other aspects of the realms that aren't really talked about elsewhere uh, much at all that I could find. I mean, you know there's dragons, but you don't know that there's all this lore on the dragons. Correct. And there may be more that we come across as we research other areas, and if so, we will intersect that where we can. Um, but otherwise, I feel that will probably be it for today. Hmm? Ah, I thought I had something to add. I don't. <laughs> So thank you all for uh, joining us on today's episode of uh, War Nouns, episode 12, Lore Nouns, episode 2. If you want to, um, you know, support us, tip us, just say, hey, uh, we have a Kofi. Kofi, yep. K-O-F-I forward slash War Nouns. If you wish to uh, endorse us there, we're always thankful. Uh, we also are able to be reached. Um, um, so, Caster here is on um, Discord channels, and if you tell him more Discord channels where, you know, like Lore or Warcaster or War Machine or anything else is being, uh, um, being Dis dis distributed or discussed, you let him know because he wants in. Yes. Yes, I do. And he's at, he's at Ellen Haru. Yep. At Ellen Haru. E-L-E-N-H-E-R-U. Actually, we are looking for a Warcaster Discord, so if you know one, send it his way. I keep hearing of one, but the links are all broken, so I'm yeah, working on that. Let him know. <laughs> all right. Uh, it was nice talking to y'all, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of War Nouns. Music for this podcast was provided by Prodolus. That's P A R A. D-E-L-O-U-S. You can check out his YouTube channel, Prodolus, or listen to his music uh, from Bandcamp by going to prodolus.bandcamp.com.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.